yourself in great and mighty ways as only you see fit to each individual so that they may know that they've truly had an experience with you. We give you glory, honor, and praise for all that you'll do and fulfill in the service on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, and so be it. I want you to turn to a neighbor, give him a high five, and say, watch out, I'm kind of a big deal. Yes. Did you know that? You know you're kind of a big deal, right? Anybody that would send his innocent son to die on your behalf means, and he is saying, you are kind of a big deal. You are important. Let me acknowledge something, because I don't want to be remiss and think that Mother's Day is so great and so glorious. For many people, Mother's Day is a difficult day. Okay? It is a difficult day. On Friday, we celebrated the life of a mother who transitioned unexpectedly. Whereas this family should be celebrating their mother, they had to celebrate her life as she moved on from this earth to, the, to heaven. There are some of you mothers, there are mothers out there that buried their babies. Or never got a chance to meet your babies due to miscarriage or what have you. There are mothers out there right now whose babies are incarcerated. There are children out there whose mothers are incarcerated, whose mothers are, are in need of healing and of help. Can't celebrate your mother as much as you would like to or in the way that you would like to. And then there are mothers that have gone on to be with the Lord, as I said earlier. I was telling my husband last, earlier this week, I just had a hard day on, on Thursday and on Friday. It, just, it was just hard because it just hit me that, I mean... I had to repent and apologize to, his, to him because he lost his mother, but she was such a mother to me. That it just hit me. She's been gone 14 years now, and it hit me that I missed her because this is the season where we're planting our flowers. So some of us are celebrating our mothers that have gone on, and some of us are estranged from our mothers, have very hard and difficult relationships with our mothers. And some of our, the mothers are here now having hard and difficult relationships with their children. Wherever you are and whatever it is that's going on in your life as it pertains to your mother, just know this, you wouldn't be here without her. If you are human and you are breathing, you are here because a woman decided to carry you for six, seven, eight, nine months and bring you into this world. I don't care about the circumstances. Once you got here, once you were here, she did a lot. And wherever she missed it, wherever she's gone, wherever she may be absent, listen, God is more than able. He's not only a father to the fatherless, but he's a mother to the motherless. He is God Almighty. He is the supernatural parent. Amen. All right, so we're picking up and we're concluding today. Victory. Say victory. victory. Say I have. I have. Victory. victory. I am. More than a conqueror through him who gives me the victory. I win. I don't lose. Even when it looks like I lose. He's working it out so that I win. 
So we're talking about victory. We're still celebrating. We're still tail spinning off what we just celebrated and recognized three weeks ago. And that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are still spinning off of all that happened on that cross, but not just on that cross, but in those three days in hell and on that one day he resurrected. We talked about first Air Force One. You are an heir. You've been, you've been given force by way of how you can conduct yourself and being an heir and that you already won. Jesus won the war for you. We talk about weapons of mass distraction. Weapons of mass distraction. Listen, don't get, get off kilter because of what somebody did or didn't do. Listen. There's too much that's been sacrificed on your behalf for you to succumb yourself to the menial things that other people may do or not do out of their own ignorance. But that's not who you are. Today, we're going to be talking about the F-bomb. We in church. In August of 1945, the United States dropped the first uranium nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. When it dropped that bomb, over 90% of that city died instantly. 80,000 people sadly saw their demise. Three days later, they dropped what's called the A-bomb. And the A-bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, where over 15,000 people sadly lost their lives. This is during World War II. Why? Because even though the war was already lost to Japan and Germany, Hirohito, the emperor, refused to relinquish. The war was already won by America and Europe, but he refused to surrender. Let's update that to today. Today, Christians, we celebrate the fact that Jesus already won the war. But I pay you and bid you notice that you have an enemy that refuses to surrender even though the war has already been won. And see, and you have a weaponry. You have a weaponry that's able to annihilate everybody within your radius. Because see, when those two bombs were dropped, Months, days, and even years and decades later, they were still finding that people were still dying or being affected by the uranium, the radiation that those bombs caused. But as Christians, you have what's called the F-bomb. And instead of this F-bomb causing people to die, this F-bomb in you and everyone around you causes people to live. And see, and when the, the, when the bomb explodes, it explodes into this thing called love. And when this love is exercised and manifested, it seems to impact, impale, and, 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 and directly and indirectly affect everyone that's touched by it. And you are the only ones that can determine the power of this weaponry. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to start where we left off. We're going to go right back to the beginning. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5 in the message. It says, we're talking about victory. We're talking about the F-bomb. Every begot, begotten person conquers the world's ways. Who conquers the world's ways? How many God-begotten people do we have in this place? Yes. Here's what it says. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our 
faith. Your F-bomb is your faith bomb. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Who wins out on the world's ways is the one who what? That Jesus is the Son of God. Do you have to be able to recite the entire scriptures in the New Testament? Do you have to have 22 hours of prayer time every day? Do you have to fast and pray 360 out of 365 days of the week? Do you have to be praying in tongues every time you're not talking in English? He says simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But Pastor Trish, it can't be that simple. Yeah, it's that simple because that's how bad he wants you. It can't be that easy that I just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But see, believing that he is the Son of God in his true fullness is never an arriving feat. You never arrive at just believing. Because the conviction and the manifestation and the conviction and the manifestation and the conviction and the manifestation and the revelation of who he is is continual. Is continual. And I don't truly believe that we really get a full grasp of how much he loves us and the victory that he's given us until we're before that throne. And we get a chance to see beyond the lens of time what he has done for us. See, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, in the King James, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. See, God tells us that in our spiritual armor, we have two, two very powerful advantages. That is the sword of his word and the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is meant to be a device mechanism for those fiery darts and those enemy attacks that come against us. But see, the wise and skilled soldier after a while will get with his uh, uh, metalsman, with his welder, and the welder will put on the outside spokes of, the, of his shield, spokes. You know, y'all think, y'all ladies, we thought we had something on studs. No, studs uh, was there a long time ago. And not only that, there would be a hole dawned inside of his shield so that he could put his sword through his shield as he rammed up against his enemy. So if the enemy got too close to his faith, guess what? They were spoked. They were stabbed. Because we all know a great defense offers up a what? A better offense, right? And so this is where we are today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the Passion Translation, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality. This is what your faith does. This is the definition of faith. And becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us, say it empowers me, to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. In other words, what he's saying is that the universe, this entire creation called earth, is created to respond to our faith. It is. It is created to respond to what we believe. 
faith empowers us to see the universe as was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. So I submit this to you now. Where you are today is a direct result of your faith yesterday. Where you are today is a direct result of your faith yesterday. I would say that to the agnostic. I would say that to the atheist. I would say that to the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Muslim, and the Jew. Because see, there, there's, just, there's, this, there's, this, there's this thing called faith when we act beyond what we see. That's relevant and true. Because there are many of Muslims and non-believers that's accomplishing great things because of their faith or what they believe. See, the advantage for the Christian is that we have this thing called favor and grace. Where we bypass the regular rules and regulations that go, and the policies and procedures that might go along with that. So God is redeeming time, space, and energy, resources. So he moves these into place and he will make even our mistakes come, become a part of our faith movement. See, that's the difference between a Christian and the, and the other believer. The other non-believer, I don't even know what to call it. But anyway, but this earth is made, there's a law of faith that's in it. And everything about where we are, who we are, and who we serve is, 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 has to respond to it. Now, we're going to talk about seven faith facts and strategies. Seven faith facts and strategies. Things you just need to know about faith and how to activate your faith at greater levels, okay? You just need to know certain things. As This is not a deep dive, but a deep dissertation about faith. Pastor Gregory's going to follow up with, I believe, was going to be an excellent, excellent series on faith and the power of the Holy Spirit in our faith. But we're just going to talk about some of, the, some of the simple nuances that I believe every believer needs to know about faith. And believe it or not, this is a Mother's Day message. Ha-ha, <laughs> there's a little bit of mamas in here. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to go way back. In verse 2, I'm going to read 2 through 10 from the King James. It says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months, and when she could not longer hold him, hide him, she took him for him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and with, put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Verse 4, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flesh, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. <gasps> and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And, and the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Seven faith facts and strategies. There's a lot composed in this introduction to this dude named Moses, who was God's agent in the earth to introduce a moral standard 
That's who he was. He was, the God, he was God's agent in the earth that introduced the moral standard because before this time, manward ways was evil. All their ways were evil. There was no moral standard. There was no good and bad. And he, he comes putting down the law. And so this dude named Moses and his two mothers, because he had two mothers. How about that? And y'all th thought y'all came from a dysfunctional household. <laughs> but these two mothers ended up being tremendous blessings to him. Number one, seven faith facts and strategies. Number one, fear God more than you fear man. Fear God more than you fear man. See, Moses' mother was this woman named Jochebed. And we, we know a little bit about her husband, his father, but we hear more about Jochebed. And see, Jochebed has this baby. And right before she gets pregnant with this baby, Pharaoh, the Hebrew people had already overpopulated the land. And Pharaoh, this new dude in town that's ruling and reigning on this throne, says, there's so many Hebrew people, if we're not careful, because now they've become our slaves, if we're not careful, they're going to rise up and overtake us. So we got to do something as far as population was, uh, control is concerned. And now we have another, yet another genocide. And so he commands the, uh, the, the midwives and the soldiers to kill all the male babies that are born from here out. Kill all the male babies that are born, but save the girls. Because it's those boys we got to be careful of. But see, the midwives wouldn't do it. And the way God orchestrated Jochebed's birth was just, she just happened to have this baby where there was no soldiers around nor midwives that would do such a thing. She has this baby, and, you know, and she nurses this baby, and she's praying, I'm sure, all along, what do I do, God? What do I do, God? And she hides him. So you know she had a fear of Pharaoh and what would happen. But see, in her time as, as a Hebrew woman, as someone who believed in the, in the sovereign God, she's seeking him, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it got to a place where she couldn't hide him anymore, and she now puts this baby in this here ark. She feared God more. If he has to die, he's not dying it by my hand. So I'm going to have to trust you, God. Could you imagine taking your three-month-old baby, swallowing him up, putting him in a basket? Many women have done it and left him at the doorstep of somebody else because the difficult times dictated that you could no longer keep this baby. Faith has to be active. You have to trust in something that's beyond yourself. You have to fear God more than you fear man. And see, we're living in a day and time where, especially younger generations, are so concerned about popular opinion. People are dealing with depression today because of the likes and dislikes on their social media pages. People are determining their influence by how many followers they have on Instagram. Listen. If you get more absorbed with that, then you have inadvertently, one has inadvertently made people their God. But God, you, we have to fear God. He tells us to fear him above all. To fear him above all. And when we do that, come what may, baby boy. Come what may, baby girl. I don't care what they say about you. I don't care what they think about you. God will turn it around on you. And he will make a show of them openly. And he will turn it around on your behalf. 
When we fear God more than we fear man and we understand that what can man do unto me if God is for me, who can be against me? Then listen, you can bring on your best weaponry you got. But when I exercise my faith bomb knowing that my God got my back. See, and, and we know, Jacob, uh, we know that um, Jochebed had to exercise faith because she went through a lot after she saw that her son was who he was. You know, could you imagine you mothers, you, when you saw that child, I don't care if you planned that child or not. Listen. I know that some, maybe some of you here, maybe some of you listening, I know quite a few children that was birthed from rape. I know a great man of God who grew up in an adopted household because he was a product of rape. If you're here, God has a plan for you. And you are not a victim of your circumstance or your birth unless you embraced it to be so. Your plight in life is to take evil and overcome it with good. And God is still not only able, but he wants to use you to make his message known. Because in you, he gets glory. Amen. Which brings us to point number two. She did all that she could do until she couldn't do no more. Draw your attention to the video screen. Let's play this video real quick. A choppy day on the water off Filano Beach. 17-year-olds Heather Brown and Tyler Smith were celebrating a beach senior skip day, but a dip in the ocean would soon turn into the fight for their lives. The two were swimming near Anastasia Island. Soon, the current became too strong. I asked him, I said, Tyler, oh my God, we're stuck. What's the plan? Heather and Tyler were stranded in the water for close to two hours. They began to pray. I cried out. I was like, if you really do have a plan for us, just like, come on, just bring something. Then a godsend. The boat was named the Amen. This is video from on board just before the captain on his way to New Jersey spotted the teens two miles offshore. The name of our boat is the Amen. I started crying. This is Tyler and Heather moments after their rescue huddled together. Their body temperatures had started to dip. Yes, he is. This is video from the hospital when Tyler was overcome with emotion of surviving at sea for hours. I love that. <laughs> Two teens answered prayers. There's no other reason or like explanation in the world that that wasn't God. Bridget Matter, Fox 30, Action News Jax. Number two. A choppy day. Faith requires you to be out of control. Faith requires you to be out of control. See, those two young people, I have two teenagers that think they're grown, <laughs> but that are on their way to being grown. These two young people decide to take a, you know, we all know that there's a senior skip day, and they take an innocent trip to the beach. And what turns from what, what was meant to be a good time hanging out with friends turns into tragedy. And from before they know it, they're two miles offshore. See, when you focus on what you see, I'm a, I, I'm, a, I'm a swimmer. I'm a former lifeguard. I've lifeguarded on open water. I've lifeguarded in pools. Your eyes deceive you. 
When you're, especially if you're in open water, you think you are closer to the land than you really are or that your body can really bring you. And then when we're talking about currents, currents go against you. Cause, so can you just, just imagine trying to climb a wall that's 90 degrees in angle with very little aid? And see, in these two young people, they started out wanting to do one thing, but the circumstances and the conditions of what was going on in the environment took them in another direction. But then when they got out of control, when they got out of control, when the control was no longer theirs, when it was beyond their ability, strength, and know-how, they prayed. And when they prayed, of all things, God would answer them with an amen. God would answer them with an amen. See, when I say here, number two, faith requires you to be out of control. Verse three, it says in verse three that, and when she could no longer hide him, she took him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. She was no longer in control. She knew if she kept this baby, because we know what three-month-olds start doing. They start letting us know that their lungs work good and hard. Three, month, three, four months old, they are screaming. They are letting you know when they're hungry, when they're wet, when they're, and, when, and, and when they're sleepy. She couldn't hide this little noisy baby no more. So now she's forced to make a decision. And in making that decision, she had to trust God. She had to trust God. She was no longer in control. And then you ever been in a situation where you don't quite know what to do, so you just keep on moving, but after you've gotten on the other side and you look back, you realize, wow, I did that not knowing it was going to set me up for this. I did that not knowing that it was going to set me up for this. Have any of you ever done something like that? Where you've gotten on the other side not realizing, wow, God was ordering my steps all along. He didn't give you no grand announcement. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord. I shall deliver you by the way of your mortgage company calling you and saying to you that you have, they have made a mistake. No, you just keep doing what you know to do and obey and love him, trusting him, allowing your faith bomb to explode, secure in his love, knowing that he's got your back. He's going to answer you with a amen. See, Jochebed here, she gets to this place where she no longer has control. She has to trust God, but she didn't even realize she was acting prophetically. She just did what she thought she knew to do. But even with what you think, God will use what's in you to manifest what's without you. Because she builds this ark for the baby that would soon be, but that would later be the author of the Ark of the Covenant. She puts them in the very same river, the Nile. Understand, the Nile is not Alatoona Lake. It's not Lake Lanier, just a little confined body of water. The Nile feeds out. I mean, it's in, Genesis, it's in Genesis. It feeds out into seas and oceans. It ain't this little bitty thing. She puts him in the Nile, the very same river that her son would later turn blood to make known God's word. She puts him in the 
bulrushes in the bushes, the reeds of the Nile. Not even knowing that God would later use a burning bush to speak to her son. So when it seems like you're not doing something, just know that you just might be doing something. When it looks like the answer is evading you, you just don't know how close you are to the answer just by your simple obedience and your faith. Number three, faith does not make sense. Faith does not make sense. Now, faith makes all the sense in the world when you're looking back. My daddy used to tell me all the time, 20, uh, hindsight is 2020. It makes all the sense in the world when you look back. But how many of you know God's ways are so far above your ways? His thoughts are so beyond your thoughts. In fact, if you're thinking it, you just got to know that that ain't it. It's not. If you're thinking it, if you're imagining it, if you think that's the answer, just know it ain't the answer. That's faith. When you get beyond being in control, God, show, he just loves his glory. He loves lavishing on you his love, and he loves surprising you. He loves surprising you. My husband surprised me, but my husband ain't got nothing on the way God does things. He says, I will take the foolish things to confound the wise. Wasn't it a guy that took a donkey to chastise and deal with the prince, with a man of God? So faith does not make sense. Think about this. It says in verse 4, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And then the daughter, now mind you, the messianic scribes, the rabbinical literature, that's what it is. The rabbinical literature says that Pharaoh's daughter dealt with a skin disease. And because of the skin disease, she had to bathe in water that was cool and not hot. And for this reason, and there were certain elements in the Nile River that aided in her comfort of her skin disease. So I'm sure Jochebed didn't know that, okay, the Pharaoh's daughter, if anything, she's trying to hide her Hebrew son from Pharaoh's daughter. But just timing so goes that she would put her child, her baby, in the river, in the Nile River, just at the time that Pharaoh's daughter of all of them needs to take a bath. And I don't care what was going on before, during, or after her getting in that water. When she saw that baby, it said that she had compassion. Rabbinical literature and even the Hebrew root of that means that God placed compassion in her. God moved on the inside of her heart and says to have compassion on his child. Basically, I want him. This one they're not going to kill. I'll raise him as my own. According to historians, they say that she was single and was like this because she never had a child because her husband was, was, was dead before she was able to conceive. I don't know. That's what they say. Regardless, she was a savior to Moses. And see, parents know this. Here we go, a little bunny trail. There comes a time in your child's life, in your husband's life, in your wife's life, where you cannot think that your control or your way is the way, the truth, and the life. No, it's not. So there comes a time, especially with your children, where you have to leave them to their own decisions. 
and allow life and God to deal with them according to those decisions. Otherwise, you put yourself in the pathway of God and resentment always arises. Yes, you know where this road leads. Yes, you know what this looks like. Yes, you've been there, done that. Yes, you were a teenager once. Yes, you were a young adult once. Yes, you made decisions from which you've learned. But guess what? God is the author of wisdom. God is the one that will orchestrate and direct. God is the one that's with them and never leaves them, nor forsakes them. If my children do what I say do because of their fear of me, then the minute they're not in my sight, they're going to do what they want to do. But if I don't allow them to make their own decisions within godly parameters, mind you, you know, I'm going to interfere if they start talking crazy. Praise God, I haven't had to go that route. But I have to allow them to make their decisions. And my prayer on the other side is, Daddy, if they're going to crash, let them crash fast and hard. I pray on a regular basis that my children have their own Jacob experiences. You all know what the Jacob experience was? He was in the desert. And he kept calling God the father of Abraham and Isaac. He never called God his father. And then it was on, in, on that journey to see his brother again, Esau that he has that Jacob's ladder experience. He wrestles with God. And then from there on, he says, now you are my God. You are my Savior. And in that, God renamed him and called him Israel. My son. His son. Because he made the decision of his own free will, not because his daddy said to do so, or his granddaddy said to do so. It's because he had his own experience with this child. So parents, especially parents of, 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 of teenagers, listen, listen, listen. One of them sitting here right now, I, I praise God for my daughter, I, I do. But listen, they will force you to learn of the fruit of the Spirit. They will force you, if you allow them, if you look at God from God's eyes, they will force you to mature in the things of the Spirit. If you didn't have a prayer life before, your children will cause you to have a prayer life. Now, you know, Pharaoh's daughter, she did have a name. Her name was Bithia. Her name is Bithia. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 18, it says, and his wife, this is the Chronicles of the Generations. And he says, and his wife, Jehedijah, bare Jared, the father of Gidor, and Heber, the father of Socho, and Jekuthiel, the father of Zanoah. And these are the sons of Bithia, the daughter of Pharaoh, which Merit took. Who was Merit? Merit was Caleb, the man who took that mountain. So Bithia was a little bit of a cougar. <laughs> but listen, this is the power of the blended family. Bithia was his foster mother, but yet she gave love. Jochebed was his natural mother, though she gave love. If love is at the center of it and not my way or your way, we can work it out. If I'm operating in the best interest of the children, 
we can work it out. But when I want to make it more about what I want versus what you want and my way over your way and whether child support was on time, whether you go to get to see your child or whatever the case may be, then it's no longer about God. It's no longer about love. It's no longer about the child. God will use your blended situation to orchestrate a calling. God used this blended situation to orchestrate his calling. And when faith is at the bottom of it all, faith with love, you can't fail. You can't fail. God used this woman to give his soon-to-be messenger and deliverer the best of the best. She didn't hide from him that he was Hebrew. In fact, this is how much love she had for him. That when he left... When he killed that Egyptian, history says that when he was banished and knew he had to run away, she ran away with him. We don't know where Jochebed was. We don't know what happened to her. But we know Bithya even survived beyond Moses because she had cities named after her because of her husband. She made it to the promised land. Moses didn't. So there's a blessing being a bonus mom. There's a blessing in being that grandmama that's raising her grandkids. There's a blessing in that God mom. There's that blessing in that foster mom. There's a blessing in that adoptive mom. There's a blessing in that spiritual mom. Because when love is involved, God has empowered you to a maternal responsibility that can orchestrate the deliverance of many a people alive. Number four, only faith pleases God. Only faith pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11. We read the first part there. But then you drop down to verse 6 in the King James. It says, but without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, what? Seek him. See, you don't seek him just because you come to church. But you're seeking him when you decide to upload the message during the week. You seek him when you decide to spend that time of prayer. You seek him when you spend that time in his word. You seek him when you choose love over hate. You seek him when you stay silent, when you know you got a lot to say. You seek him when you ask him to acknowledge your steps. You seek him when you expect favor on your behalf. You seek him even from the smallest things because he says that the just shall live by faith. God is not moved by our pretty songs if it's not backed by faith. God is not moved by our tears, snots, and sweat if it's not moved by faith. God is not moved by your fasting and your prayer if it's not moved by faith. Guess what? God ain't even moved by your circumstance if it's not moved, if you don't have faith connected to it. In fact, he glories in your circumstance because he knows he could, only he could take it and turn it right side up. But he ain't moved by none of that. Only faith pleases God. 
Only faith pleases God. When Jochebed acted by faith, she, God was pleased in saving Moses. When Bithia acted in faith, God was pleased in saving Moses. When Moses acted in faith, God was pleased in delivering millions of people. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, in a, in a previous verse, I think it's verse 4 or, or 5, he says Enoch didn't even see death. Why? Because he was prophetic? Nope. Because he walked on water? Nope. Because he knew all the scriptures? Nope. It said because he pleased God. Enoch didn't see death for no other reason but that he pleased God. He pleased God. So what are you doing to please God? Huh? What are we doing to please God? You're here. Hey, listen, I'm serious. You're here. Especially if you brought your kids. I know what it's like wrangling up all these little people. Ooh, Jesus. Only faith pleases God. Numbers 14 and 11, it says that the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I've showed among them? See, God is saying now we didn't spend, they didn't come out of the, they've come out of the Egypt, Egypt, they've come out of the wilderness, they're entering into their, about to enter into their promised land, and, on, and in, this, in, the, in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God has manifested himself so many times. If you go back, I didn't even realize it, but I just decided to count, and I was like, whoa, I don't know what, well, it's the Holy Spirit that provoked me to go back and count, but those same ten plagues that God used to deliver them, he turned around and manifested himself ten more times in the wilderness on behalf of his children. From the parting of the Red Sea to it going back down and killing Pharaoh's men to the pillar of light by, the pillar of light by night and the cloud by day. From the manna that rained from heaven and the, and the quail that fell down. God manifested 10 miracles for them in this short span of time in the wilderness. And now it's time for them to go into the promised land. They could have gotten into the promised land in 40 days, but instead how long did it take? 40 years. Why did it take 40 years? Exodus 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17, they're complaining. I mean, I didn't pay attention to it until I was reading. Yeah, you're right, God. They was complaining the whole time. The whole time. I mean, it's like, just, they complained about the miracle. But see... When he sent the 12, Jacob and Joshua came back and said, we are mighty to overtake them. I believe what happened with, uh, with Pharaoh. I believe what's happened in the past few weeks that we've been with God. And I believe that he will enable us. He will equip us and strengthen us to take these people. They are big and strong. But listen, the way I see it, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. But see, you got these 10 now that says, but they're big. And they're strong, and their grapes are big as our bodies. And what can we do? There's just so many of them. I'm scared. You're gonna make me ink. Some of y'all didn't get that. <laughs> uh, 
it. Yeah, some of y'all got it. <laughs> You're going to make me ink. I'm scared. What are we going to do? We're not big enough. They just experienced 10 qualified, bona fide miracles from God on their behalf. But see, this is the thing, even now. A lot of times Christians think that because we prayed and we fasted, that stuff is just supposed to fall in our laps. But see, what it was is that they weren't prepared for war. They weren't prepared for war. And they didn't count God as being faithful. So therefore, God says, we're going to have to go round and round, round and round, round and round in circles. Because you won't believe what I've already done and you won't believe what I said. See, just because you're a Christian, just because you prayed and you read your word and, you, and, you, and, you're, and you're coming to church and paying your tithes and offers does not mean that you are exempt from the fight. And all too often, we don't want a war. He's already won the war. All we got to do is line up for the battle. And, all, and we're not even really fighting. If you think about it, all we're doing is enduring. Only time in the Bible that God says to fight is when he says to fight the good fight of But when we think that it's supposed to fall in our laps and it's supposed to be easy, where is God? I don't know if I'm hearing from God or whatever the case may be. It's because we don't see our control manifesting. See, when, 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 did I get ahead of myself? I, I, I jumped ahead of myself. Because this is going with, aside from what I said for number four, that only faith pleases God, number five is, number five is your obedience is all that's required. Your obedience is all that's required. Faith fulfilled is on the other side of your battle, and your obedience is always the battle. Your obedience is always the battle. People aren't the battle. Circumstances are not the battle. Issues are not the, your bank account ain't the battle. Your job is not the battle. Your body ain't even the battle. Your obedience is the battle. So when he says to fight the good fight of faith, he gives us other strategies that we need to exercise as well. He tells us to rejoice in the face of temptation and agitation. He tells us to buffet our flesh. He tells us to stand against the enemy. He tells us to flee fornication. He tells us to cast down any imagination or high thought that tries to exalt itself against what? The knowledge of Christ. He tells us that we must bear one another burdens, and he tells us that we must forgive. If we just did those things, baby, Whatever you want and whatever you need is right there at your feet. It ain't that deep. It's, it, it, it is difficult only to the degree that you believe that God has won your battle. Number six, the reward is always bigger than your sacrifice. The reward is always bigger than your sacrifice. <laughs> choose me Lord I'll go I've done so much for the kingdom of God I'm willing to give it all for your glory I will do anything anything that you do for God 
is but a drop in the bucket for what he's done for you. You cannot earn what he has for you. Listen closely. The reason why the baby Christian and the 90-year-old Christian can walk in the same blessing is because all he needs is faith. We don't outserve God, nor do we outserve his blessings. Praise God for your sacrifice, but your sacrifice ain't nothing compared to his reward. When that faith bomb explodes, it accesses victory with power. And that power, that radiation, is that love thing. When you operate in faith, you're saying, God, not that I love you as much as you're saying, God, I know you love me. And see, and that's some of the issue today. As we celebrate and honor mothers, oftentimes, and it's, it's, a, it's a fact that our reflection of faith and godliness is oftentimes skewered by our relationships with our parents. But God is so majestic. He's so sovereign that when we give him a chance, he will do in five minutes of time what your parents couldn't do in 18 years. And he'll bypass all that your parents were or were not and manifest himself. The reward is always bigger than your sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20, as I start winding it down. Ephesians 3, 17 through 20 in the Passion. I love this. Listen, listen so carefully. I'm going to read it slowly. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered. Who will be empowered? Say, I will be empowered. To discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and exclusive, inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled with overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. That's good news. Your most unbelievable dream. And exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. When we operate in faith, we are backed by the full assertion the unmovable conviction that God loves me. And I don't know where I might step, but wherever I steps is golden because he's turning it that way. I'm so confident of who he is in me and what he's done for me that I can't lose. 
He's been so good, and he's manifested himself in such a great way. I'm so convinced of who he is, you can't offend me. I can receive instruction, and even if it meant for you meant for it to be nasty, because I know the love of my God, he'll show me how to turn it into love. So then truly, I could tread upon serpents. So then truly, no harmful or deadly thing shall harm me. Then truly, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And no deceiving or conniving tongue shall have its way. Because this is the inheritance that I have in him. Then truly, I am healed from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. And now we go all the way back to where we started. 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 and 4. For whatsoever, or whosoever, I'm going back to the King James, is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the Nike, this is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Even our faith. Even our faith. Who was he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, when he says, believeth there, the root word for believeth is pistis. What is pistis? The Greek word for faith. This means that we are firmly assured. We are firmly persuaded. We have a blessed assurance. We have an unmoving conviction. We are convinced. We are held fast that God has our back, that I win. See, you can't tell me nothing. See, five years ago, September 13th, 20, September 6th, 2013, five years ago, some of you are new. My husband and I, we were fired from our previous ministry for no other reason than just people. In that moment, we had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. I'm attached to him, so ain't nothing happening there. But we had to dig deep and put our heels in the ground and who God is. You can't tell me about his supply, his ability to provide. When two weeks later, we got a check for a whole year's salary on our front porch. You can't tell me nothing about his calling when we got people out there doing the work on our behalf. You can't tell me nothing about his, his resurrecting power of forgiveness. When I got Dr. Betty Price calling me every other day telling me, remember, precious, that when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he'll cause even his enemies to be at peace with them. Yeah. Betty Price. You can't tell me nothing about God's redemptive power when I look out and see you. You can't tell me nothing about his calling, his provision, his love. You can't. I'm too convinced. Yeah. Romans seven one, Romans chapter one, verse seventeen. It says, "This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness." given to us when we believe. It moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living life by faith. This is what the scripture means when it says we are right with God through life-giving faith. King James says we're, 
the just shall live by faith. If you, are, if you think that you are just your mama's child and you call yourself Christian, praise God for mama, grandmama, daddy, granddaddy, but you are so much more. You are the just, and you're expected to live by faith. The last one, number seven, faith believes love. Faith believes love. Because we've had so much experiences with consequences and punishment, we think that God is just big old judge. God is not counting your wrongs. He ain't thinking about your wrongs. He's on standby in the midst of your foolery. Just waiting for you to acknowledge him and he'll swoop in. Your repentant heart, he will swoop in like Superman. Now you're not exempt from the consequence, but he'll make the he'll provide you the grace to get through it. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And all he wants is for you to love him and love your neighbor. See, Moses was given 630 laws. Fast forwarded, David was given 15 laws. Fast forwarded, Isaiah was given 11 laws. Fast forwarded, Micah was given three laws. Fast forwarded, Jesus just said, let's make it two. Let me just make it easy for you. See, when Micah concluded with those three laws, those three were to do, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Jesus said, let's sum it all up. Just love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. For see, it's impossible for you to love yourself without loving me. We know in Timothy, he says, in the last days, men will become lovers of themselves, caught up in all kind of foolish and evil things. But when you love me, you will love you right. When you love me, you will love you right. And when you love you right, you can love others right. Love, always, faith, always believe love. 1 John 4, verse 16 through 19, it says, We have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. Not just in them, but through them. By living in God, God has been brought to its, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. What? All that Jesus is, so are we in this world. Jesus walked on water. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed people. Jesus called blind eyes to see. Jesus rebuked the religious folks. Jesus called a spade a spade. Jesus acknowledged God wherever he, his father, wherever, every chance that he got. Love never brings fear, verse 18 in the Passion. For fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of what might happen... 
of what they might say, of unwanted consequences and responses, afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our great response to the love God has first demonstrated to us. Faith is our experience from loving him and being convinced that he loves us. So how do you know you're operating in faith? How do you know that you are embracing God's love? I love the way the children sang it earlier when they said, talked about the overwhelming, overflowing love of Christ. So I'm going to be the music department before we do the altar call. I want you to really think about this love of Christ. Who is he? What has he done for you? What is he doing for you? What is he requiring of you? And what are you going to do about it? <laughs>